Frederick Dard famously said, A smart man is nothing but a failed idiot. Frederick Dard had never been to Washington or spent time on Facebook or Twitter, where we have more failed idiots than even Mark Twain could make sport of. And I wouldn't call any of them smart. Confused yet? Good. Here's someone to make sense of the madness. His name is Dan Newman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week. Normally, you know, we end weeks on Friday the 13th. This week, we're starting the week, Monday the 13th. Maybe it won't be an unlucky week for you. Hey, how was your weekend? Man, this is a a blessed time of year. Lots of people going on vacations. I mean, I'm thinking beach time. And I I have a lot of friends uh, where we live in northwest Louisiana, a lot of people here like to go to the Redneck Riviera. And if you're not from the South, you don't know that the Redneck Riviera is the northwest Gulf Coast of the Panhandle of Florida and also a little bit of the southern part of Alabama. Why is it such a big deal? Well, many, 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 many years ago, thousands of years ago, there was a river flowing down into the Gulf of Mexico there. And with it, it brought this amazing deposit of bleached white crystal sand. And that Gulf Coast looks like the Caribbean pretty much 12 months out of the year. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been to the Caribbean several times, and it's not exactly the same as the Caribbean, but it's pretty much as close as we can get in the continental United States, with the exception of maybe down on the extreme southwest side of Florida. All that being said, I miss the beach. I love the beach. Our family grew up on the beach. Every summer, we made a trek since our kids were very young, and we became beach people. Uh, don't know why we never bought a place on the on the coast. We went several times and shopped and thought about it and thought about it. It's one of those kind of things, you know, you got to justify spending a lot of time at a place like the beach before you can justify owning it. And I guess the most that we ever went down for a summer period was about four weeks broken up. And when you think about the price you got to pay to get beachfront property, eh, it's hard to justify the dollars and cents. So what do we do? We just go rent a condo. (laughs) And I'm all in for that this year. But I'm not griping. I understand that we're going north for the vacation this summer, and we will be on the water but it'll be on a lake. Our grandchildren, gosh, we have one eighth grader. We've got three that are sophomores about to be juniors in high school. And those are the cabooses. There's nothing after that. And so all our family kids have uh, gotten into skiing. And our son-in-law has a really good ski boat. So we're going up to the lake in Arkansas. And I'm excited about that. I got to be honest with you. This is the time of year especially on the downside of everything we've been through over the last couple of years. It's a great time to get away. Oh my gosh, as long as you don't have to drive a long way cuz I mean you got to yeah, you got to you got to dig deep. I can tell you this. I got a great notice from my bank on Friday. I'd really really been sweating this one. And I got approval for a loan. And so now I got a loan and it's a mortgage loan. I'll be able to go buy a full 
tank of gas now. It's not quite that bad yet. <laughs> but, but don't say we're never going to get there. $5 and a penny today, every day, every day we make a new record, set a brand new record and break an old record for the price of gas per gallon. I used to laugh when I went to Europe and um, I spent a lot of time in, in Switzerland, in Zurich principally, probably the most expensive city in Europe in which to live. But it's a great city, big, big, big metropolis and very clean, all kinds of amazing architecture, lots of things to do. And they sell gas over there, well, petrol over there, uh, not by the gallon like we do. They sell it in European numbers. Um, You know what I'm talking about. So it was culture shock for me when I put gas in an attorney's SUV and uh, I looked at the price and it was like, oh my goodness, I thought it was really bad and it was a whole lot worse than I thought it was when I made the converge, uh, conversion uh, into dollars and cents, how much we paid for gallon over there. They've got it even worse than we do. Some places they're looking at now, today, $9 a gallon. And I can't break down the liters. That's what they measure their liquids in over there compared to uh, a quart, but it's similar. It's similar. Nevertheless, it's all so stinking expensive, folks. And everybody in the nation, including a lot of people in Washington, D.C., are pointing fingers of responsibility at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Very few people can credibly say the majority, the huge majority of this dollars and cents thing that we're fighting, and it looks like we're going to continue to fight for some time, is directly attributable attributable to President Joe Biden and his policies. We're going to get into that. We're going to start in just a moment, but I want to kind of give you a heads up on what's ahead. As you probably heard during the weekend, that bipartisan Senate gun bill has come together. And they've only, as they always do, they've only leaked out two or three positive things, things that we would say, well, you know, that's not, that's not going all the way uh, where they're taking guns away from us or anything. And so it sounds like it's going to be okay. Well, the devil is always in the detail. And we don't have the detail yet. As a matter of fact, just before we went live, I reached out to Congressman Mike Johnson. Of course, he's a congressman. He's not on uh, the Senate side. And I asked him if he has any of that information yet. Um, and I asked him if he could come on the show. I just got this from him. I was swamped over the weekend, so I've not seen it yet. I doubt we are going to like it. If I get, can get on top of it, I'll check in with you and tell your audience what's going on. So that's Congressman Mike Johnson. We'll hear from him, even if um, he can't come on the show. When he gets the details, and I'm assuming he is a leader in the Republican Party over in the House, that he should get it. If they don't pass it around, you know what that means. There's stuff in it that they don't want us to know about. We're going to get into a little bit of that. And also, I don't know if you saw the um, the Wall Street Journal um, op-ed, opinion ed, ed, editorial that was written by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan. And um, Senate got it published in the Wall Street Journal. And it's about this January 6th select committee stuff. Every day, it just seems like we learn a little bit more about what's going on there. And none of it's good. We're going to get into that. 
We're also going to look at um, some things that are really looking bad for us that we, many of us, expected was in the process of being rolled out. And it's kind of slipping out now. And it has to do with our medical bureaucracies. And this one's pretty spooky to me. It really is. But first, let's talk about Uncle Joe. By the way, anytime you want to weigh in on this, feel free to give us a call. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. New York Times yesterday, they just dumped on Uncle Joe. You don't see that happen very often on this president or any other Democrat president. They revealed that many Democrat Party officials have very little faith, if any, that Biden can keep his party afloat in the middle of this mounting crises that are getting more in number and higher and higher every day. The piece they published, and I said yesterday, it was Saturday, also implied the January 6th committee is Biden's last chance before the midterms to try to get some swing voters who are more fixated right now on inflation. According to reporters Reed Epstein and Jennifer Medina, many Democrat lawmakers and party officials are venting this week. Their frustrations with Biden's struggle to advance the bulk of his agenda, doubting he has the ability to rescue the Democrat Party from what everybody is saying is going to be a bloodbath in November, trouncing and increasingly viewing him as an anchor that should be cut loose after the midterms. When I read that, I just had this thought. I wonder what they mean, cut him loose after the midterms. Biden's polling is just, I mean, he's in the tank. Let's look at the latest real quick. Okay, I just pulled it up fresh this morning. This is from Real Clear Politics. Now, what they do, if you don't know this, is they pull a bunch of polls together and, and they give you all of these leading polls so you can look at the different numbers and make your own opinion. So this is through June the 9th. June the 9th, real clear clear politics average. Quinnipiac approve of President Biden's way he's running the government. 35%. Disapprove, 56%. NPR, PBS, Marist, approve, 39%. Disapprove, 52%. Rasmussen, Approved 39, disapproved 59. Reuters, approved 41, disapproved 56. Economist slash YouGov, approved 43, disapproved 51. Political Morning Consult, approved 39, disapproved 58. Emerson, approved 38, disapproved 52. Harvard Harris, Approved 41, disapproved 55. So real clear clear politics, our average, approve 39.4%, disapprove 54.9%. Overall, his negatives are as, as bad as 21 points upside down and his spread, the average of all of them together. He's 15 and a half percentage points in the hole. That does not portend well for any person in politics, especially the President of the United States, and really especially going into the midterm elections. Last time Mike Johnson was on the show with us here, we we asked him, and he again is a leader, 
And uh, he's the number four leader in the Republican Party in the House. Of course, they're in the major- they're in the minority now. Um, so he's at least in the loop on a lot of these things. And I asked him about seats. How many seats in the House? What are we thinking is realistic for the Republican Party to pick it up? And he was very conservative in what he said. But he said he can easily see we pick up a 20-point advantage. 20-point advantage would be about a 25-seat pickup. And then offline, he told me it could, in his opinion, be even twice that. Now, let me just say this. Don't get excited about it. And here's the reason why. It's one thing to have the votes. And it's another thing to put something in place and put something in place quickly. We remember what it was like in Donald Trump's first two years. You remember that? We thought we had the House, the Senate, and of course the White House. We thought it was going to go great guns. They weren't prepared, especially on the Senate side. Mitch McConnell didn't have legislation strapped up and ready to go. And by the time they got ramped up, the midterms come around and we lost our majorities in Congress. Just imagine what Trump could have gotten done. What more could have happened if we had been prepared as a political party? And I say we, I'm not a Republican. I got to put that out there. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm registered independent and I vote that way. Typically, I am conservative. And how conservative am I? I get asked that every once in a while. I'm pretty darn conservative. I'm somewhere to the right of Attila the Hun. So maybe that'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So what about Uncle Joe? Well, before we get to Uncle Joe, I mentioned this medical bureaucracy. And let me say this. I have, over the last two weeks, done some extensive research on on my own level. And I have discovered some very troubling things. The CDC folks... If you didn't read today's article, I'll just give you a little snippet of it here. They've adopted the CDC, a new theme song. Remember the Carpenters from the 1970s, I think 70, maybe 71? Their song, We've Only Just Begun? That song is probably the greatest song of that decade. And for at least a decade, maybe two, it was the go-to wedding song that Richard Carpenter wrote. But it means something entirely different today. There's no remorse at the CDC for anything that happened on their watch in the pandemic. Far from it. The model of virus control they deployed over the last two years plus is now they've made it just part of normal operations. The CDC wants that process to be institutionalized. God only knows exactly what the surreptitious plans of the CDC contain. But one thing is certain. The institutionalized bureaucracy of the medical industrial complex is the perfect place for medical totalitarianism to live and thrive. And the CDC, they love it. They're in charge, and they are darn well planning to keep it that way. The bureaucracy has now codified this into a new online tool. It, it instructs cities and states exactly what they're supposed to do given a certain level of community spread, not just of COVID, but of anything. The new tool doesn't say lockdowns as such, but the entire model of containment 
via mask and distancing is baked in. And they can easily expand it at will. You know that. We saw them do that. To understand how absurd this is, consider that as of this story, major parts of southern Florida are supposed to be masked up, according to the map provided by the CDC. Why? Because COVID testing reveals high community spread. Hardly anybody in Florida has even put on a mask since 2020. The very notion is a joke over there. However, what happens to the other states and what happens when or if political control of Florida changes to a pro-lockdown party? So let's look at this orange label, the high label. Under the orange label, the following apply. Wear a mask indoors in public. Stay up to date with COVID-19 vaccines. Get tested if you have any symptoms. Additional precautions may be needed for people at high risk for severe illness. There are some standout points here. Masks have nowhere control the spread of COVID, period. We know this from countless examples from all over the world. In fact, they've been a spectacular failure except as signals to other people to give them a sense of alarm at the presence of disease. Neither have vaccinations achieved the stopping or even the slowing of infection spread. Note the new language, too. Quote, stay up to date. Vaccinations are headed towards the World Economic Forum ideal of subscription plans. As for additional precautions, we know what that means. Lockdowns. Follow CDC recommendations for isolation and quarantine, including getting tested if you're exposed to COVID or if you have any symptoms. Implementing screening testing or other testing strategies for those who are exposed to COVID-19 in workplaces, schools, or other community settings as appropriate. Implement enhanced provision, prevention measures in high-risk congregate settings. Consider setting specific recommendations for prevention strategies based on local factors. We've seen this movie before. It's a recipe, a recipe for full government control of our lives, playing the medical card. In addition, this new tool can easily move to a next iteration by the addition of a red color. It could mean shelter in place, close schools, don't go to church, don't see friends, And here we go down that road again. I'll say it once more. There is no remorse, no regret, no rethinking at all at the CDC, especially no admission of error. On the contrary, it's all part of the plan to do it over again. In fact, a different version, updated as of this posting, already has a code red, and it pertains to the entire country. One version measures levels and the other measures transmission. And if you look at the story today, you'll see that map right in the center of maybe halfway down the page with the legend and stuff so you can see for yourself. Now you might say that these are just recommendations and the CDC makes goofy recommendations all the time. (laughs) Cook your beef well done. (laughs) The trouble is that it puts the burden to reject the recommendations on politicians at the state and local levels. 
For that matter, there's nothing really in place that would stop a public health department anywhere in the country from implementing any of these on their own. Anyone objecting is immediately on the back foot, attempting to justify the refusal to obey the CDC and thereby opening themselves up to the accusation that they're killing grandma and your grandma and my grandma. It truly boggles the mind that the CDC has rethought nothing given the carnage we face today, still today in our country. We're trying to get back on our feet from their lockdown, shutdown pandemic that was fake in many regards. They talk about the data and the science, but they pay attention to almost none of it. They forever fall back on their new doctrines and mostly on their power. This is about much more than just lockdowns. It's about life itself, particularly as it impacts our economics. A new poll from the Wall Street Journal shows that the percent of Americans who think the economy is poor or not so good is an incredible, mind-boggling 83%. Now, maybe that doesn't shock you. Gives rise to the question of what demographic constitutes the 17% who think things are just fine, maybe uh, employees at the National Institute of Health, the CDC, Department of Homeland Security, Pfizer, and Moderna. Huh? I think those would be the only people that say our economy is good. It's good for them. They're making out like bandits, and it's all our tax dollars. Okay, I take it back. I'm a little cynical sometimes. The truth is that economic prospects now are just awful. And it's not just inflation. It's class mobility, demoralization, goods availability, and a general sense that hope in the future isn't what it used to be just a couple of years ago. We're not talking about decades. We're talking about less than two years. That will surely have a big effect on November's midterms. The winning candidates will make elaborate promises to fix the problems. But how many among them will be openly critical of COVID mandates? Not many. This matters because the connection is direct. My personal frustration is that massive failure on the part of the media, intellectuals, so-called intellectuals, and average people to make the connection between the hell of the last 27 months, of course, in the name of disease control, and these economic, cultural, educational, and social outcomes. For some odd reason I can't figure out, there's a general impression out there that economic life exists in some insulated machine that is somehow detached from life experience. Therefore, if it's a machine, hey, just turn it on and turn it off. We turned it back on. So why aren't things going back to normal? Well, most all the suffering people are experiencing today traces to catastrophic policy pushed by the CDC with White House deference, thereby prompting the entire public health machinery around the country to just swing right into action, closing schools, businesses, churches, and giving Congress an excuse to spend some $6 trillion that we don't have, and actually more than that. And they do it through debt financing that was quickly added to the Fed's balance sheet through money printing. 
The closures interrupted supply chain, shattered economic and social functioning. The fallout is what we see all around us today. Now let's wrap it up. We can summarize this in a couple of sentences. We've just experienced years in which it was demonstrated to the United States and the entire world how pandemic control can be deployed to utterly crush rights, freedoms, constitutional limits on states, and even everything we call civilization itself. Look how quickly it happened once. You don't think it'll happen again? What our CDC pushed on our country, and even to the world for that matter, it was the first time anything like this has ever happened. There's no precedent to point to. We invented it. Well, we didn't. The CDC did. And we allowed it. The resulting disasters are everywhere at present. At minimum, we should expect the CDC to cease and desist and certainly not entrench and codify. That the entrench and codify is taking place right now and it is today. It reveals what a long struggle lies ahead for us. And don't, don't doubt the substance of what you have just heard. It's factual. It's in our faces. They're not even trying to hide it any longer. Check it out. Well, first half hour almost gone of TNN Live on the 13th, Monday. When we come back, guess who's in the news? James Comey. FBI James Comey. And he's being called out. And it looks like, oh, Jim, he may be about to get busted. Woo. That and more just ahead. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. O'Reilly. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way 
to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. I really miss the music of the 70s. Whatever happened to Seals and Croft? You remember them? This is one of their big hits, Diamond Girl. Every once in a while, I just think about it. And uh, you go do an internet search, sometimes you don't get any facts. I think maybe these guys just kind of slipped into the landscape, never to be heard from again. A lot of the good ones have done that. Take a group like David Gates and Bread. Remember all their songs, their big hits? Baby, I'ma want you. If all those big songs, David Gates wrote them all. He got crossways with the drummer in the band from Oklahoma City. That's where the band started. And he just decided he had the authority to do it. And he wrote all those songs. He just said, screw it and shut the group down. I don't know what he's doing now, but at one point he was working in a gas station, a service station. A great songwriter like that that came up with those big hits. Of course, you would think they were making bazillions of dollars. But that's very seldom the story or the outcome on that. There are far more disaster stories about how it just didn't work out than there are the other. Let me tell you somebody who's been real quiet. Haven't heard, I mean nothing from him. Former FBI Chief James Comey. Well, what's old Jim up to now? Well, guess what? This will probably not shock you, but the FBI, they deceived the House, they deceived the Senate, and by the way, they deceived the Justice Department about the substance and the strength of evidence undergirding all of its counterintelligence investigation of Donald Trump. Now, a last week declassified document shows it to be factual, a seven-page internal FBI memo dating all the way back to March the 8th of 2017, shows that talking points that were prepared for then-FBI Director Comey for his meeting the next day with the congressional leadership were riddled with half-truths, outright lies, and very obvious and very critical omissions. Both the Senate and the House opened investigation and held hearings based in part on the misrepresentations made in those FBI briefings, one of which was held in the Senate that morning, the other in the House later that day. Nobody wants to comment about it. Nobody. Reached out to several of the people involved. Some declined to comment. Others did not respond. The talking points were prepared by, guess who? Lisa Page. At that time, a senior FBI lawyer who later resigned from the Bureau amid accusations of anti-Trump bias and were used by Comey in his meetings with Hill leaders. They described reports the FBI received in 2016 from a former FBI CHS or confidential human source about former Trump campaign officials, Paul Manafort, Carter Page. By the way, Carter's not related to Lisa Page allegedly conspiring with the Kremlin to hack the election. Quoting from the reports, Comey told congressional leaders that the unidentified informant told 
the FBI that Paul Manafort initially managed the relationship between Russian government officials and the Trump campaign using Carter Page as an intermediary. Can you believe that's actually in the report that Comey used to brief congressional leaders? Looking back over our shoulders, hindsight's always 2020. Manafort had no contact. It was proven $40 million, hundreds of thousands of pages of documents in the Mueller investigation. There was no tie. This is our FBI, folks. This is our Justice Department. This actually happened. And what's worse is for years they buried it. They lied about it. Comey lied under oath numerous times. John Brennan did the same thing. James Clapper did the same thing. No accountability for any of those so far. Previous FBI interviews with Carter Page and other key sources indicated none of that whole thing was true. And the FBI knew it at the time that James Comey went and briefed Congress. The Lisa Page memo anticipated concerns about the quality of information that Comey was giving to Congress, and Lisa suggested in the memo he preempt any concerns with another lie. The memo advised Comey to tell lawmakers that some of the reporting has been corroborated and to point out that the informant's reporting in this matter is derived primarily from a Russian-based source, which made it sound more credible, and also, you know this, you can't go to a Russian-based source and force them under oath to testify to anything in the United States. By this point, however, the FBI knew the main source feeding unsubstantiated rumors to the informant, Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence agency paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign to dig up dirt on Trump, was not Russian-based. It was American-based. The FBI first interviewed that source. You've heard the name already, Igor Danchenko, a Russian national who was living here and had worked in the Brookings Institute in January of 2017. Danchenko had told them that the anti-Trump dirty funnel to steal was dubious hearsay, passed along over drinks with his high school buddies and an old girlfriend named Olga Galkina. You can't make this up. She, we are told, made up the accusations about Carter Page and Manafort. Olga did. <laughs> can you? This is not funny, but it's almost comical. I can see, I'm telling you, I can see a bunch of FBI cronies sitting around a smoky room after work one night in the Hoover building <laughs> in Washington, D.C., sitting up there with cigars and drinking whiskey and just, hey, why don't we say this? Why don't we add this in here? Let's make it be Russian. Russian, you know, behind the scenes, unnamed sources formerly affiliated with the KGB. Let's just make it as unbelievable as possible and let Comey go in there and throw him the bone. I don't know about the smoky cigars and drinking whiskey after work, but it, obviously the context of what I just said happened. Danchenko 
is now under criminal indictment in special counsel John Durham's ongoing investigation. He's being indicted for lying about the sourcing for his information. The source to whom he attributed those charges against Trump, including his being compromised by a sex tape held by the Kremlin, which was a fabrication, according to the indictment. He never spoke with the person, as he claimed. Another source turned out to be a longtime Hillary Clinton campaign advisor. The FBI did not tell the Gang of Eight that Danchenko was working for Steele, did not really have any sources inside the Kremlin. After all, they didn't reveal that they had no sources. That's according to the script prepared for Comey, which was recently declassified as part of pretrial discovery in special counsel Durham's probe. The FBI also hid Steele's identity and the fact he was working for the Clinton campaign. Adding to all this, Comey, he had to pile on. You know him. He is Mr. Pat himself on the back. I'm the tallest guy in the room. I'm Mr. FBI, so you gotta, you got to believe everything I say. He referred, to make it sound better, to the unnamed informant by the code name Crown. Crown. To make it appear as if Steele's dossier was a product of British intelligence. Although Steele had not worked for the British government for several years, was reporting entirely in a private capacity. Can you imagine the conversation and how it went when they come up with, let's come up with a code name for this informant? Yeah, let's make him let's make him sound like he's directly tied into the royal family. Let's call him Crown. If asked about Crown slash Steele during the briefing the memo anticipated, Comey was to say that lawmakers, only that Crown, a former FBI confidential human source, is a former friendly foreign intelligence service employee who reported for about three years and some of whose reporting has been corroborated. I mean, look at the web of deceit and lies that were carefully, premeditatedly, put in place to be used, and were all part of that FISA application to get the warrant to authorize spying on Trump campaign. Meanwhile, back at the office, FBI headquarters, officials were duped. They were duping the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court in similar fashion just to continue to get warrants to spy on Carter Page. They led judges on the secret surveillance court to believe Danchenko was Russian-based, and therefore that made him more credible. The official in charge of vetting the Steele dossier and interviewing him and his primary source, Danchenko, to corroborate their allegations was FBI Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Auten. By March of 2017, Auten knew the Russian-based claim was false, and yet he let case agents slip it in to two FISA renewal requests targeting Carter Page. Auten seemed to become concerned about the falsehood only when the Senate Judiciary Committee asked to see the Page spy warrants. Only then he reviewed the FISA applications in advance of Comey briefing the panel on the 15th of March, and he raised concerns with then-FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, 
who was assisting with redactions to the documents before giving them to Congress, Auten wondered in text messages whether a correction should be reported to the court. No amendment was ever made. They put it in the FISA warrant application renewal and let it stand. Years later, three years later in the closed-door 2020 hearing, Senate Judiciary Committee investigators finally caught up with Auten and asked him about it. Quote, the, the FISA application all say he's Russian-based. That's then Chief Senate Judiciary Committee Investigative Counsel Zach Summers. Do you think that should have been corrected with the FISA court? Auten said he raised the issue with Kleinsmith, who was convicted last year by Durham on charges related to falsifying evidence in the FISA application process. And what response did you get back, Summers asked? I got no response. And so the Russian-based fraud lived on through the FISA renewals, which also swore to the court that Danchenko was truthful and cooperative. The five-year statute of limitations for criminal liability related to the invalid FISA applications expires at the end of this month, June. It has already expired regarding false statement offenses that may have been committed during the March 2017 Gang of Eight briefings. However, legal experts say Durham could bypass the statute by filing conspiracy charges. Some former FBI attorneys and prosecutors believe the special counsel is building a conspiracy to defraud the government case against former FBI officials and others. Around the same time, the FBI similarly misled high-ranking officials at the DOJ. In March of 2017, a briefing on March 6th on the Russiagate probe to acting Attorney General Dana Benty, Comey's deputy Andrew McCabe and counterintelligence official Peter Strzok-Stroke suggested that Steele's material came from the British government rather than the Clinton campaign by referring it to it as, here we go, crown source reporting. That's according to handwritten notes taken during the meeting. Peter Strzok falsely suggested to Benty that the probable cause for his opening the Russiagate investigation, codenamed Crossfired Hurricane, included Trump asking Russia during a July 2016 public campaign appearance to find Clinton's 30,000 missing State Department emails she had deleted from a private server. The electronic communication struck personally wrote to officially open the investigation made no mention of this incident. It's kind of like, well, we got to wait a document, making it okay. So why don't I just put this in there? It's based upon what Trump said and everybody laughed about when he said it. Hey, we can't find, nobody can find, the FBI can't find Hillary's 30,000 missing State Department emails. Ask Russia if they've got them. Struck, he won't reply or respond to any request for comment now. He spread the same false claim in his book. He recently admitted in a Georgetown University forum he got the detail wrong while blaming a faulty memory. <laughs> Robert Mueller fired Peter Strzok after the Justice Inspector General alerted Mueller to virently anti-Trump text he had exchanged with Lisa Page with whom he was having an illicit affair. 
during that briefing struck in McCabe shaded the other facts to make it seem as if the case against Trump and his advisors were stronger than it was to try to convince the attorney general they had justifiable cause to continue their sensitive political investigations. For instance, they told Benty that the secret FISA monitoring of Page's phone and emails was fruitful when in fact collections failed to corroborate the dossier allegations against Page in any way whatsoever. The next month, Benty approved and signed the third application to surveil the Trump advisor. Carter Page was never charged with a crime. But the year-long surveillance, which didn't end until September 22nd of 2017, allowed FBI headquarters to monitor the Trump presidency through what is known as incidental collections of emails, text, and phone and Skype conversations. On March 20th, 2017, Comey went to Capitol Hill, publicly announced for the first time the existence of the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump and his campaign. I'll never forget that day. It just blew the lid off of everything. Now, put it in context. That was the 60th day of the Trump presidency, March 20th, 2017. The FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, and that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russia's efforts. That's Comey's testimony. Now let's roll the calendar back five years. This is what Comey should have testified. The FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, and that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the Hillary Clinton campaign and Russia's efforts. That would have been truthful. This unusual public disclosure of that active investigation, that opened the floodgates. Media went nuts, hysteria for years about possible Trump collusion with Russia, triggered years of congressional hearings and investigations that dragged Trump figures into countless hours of depositions under subpoena. Two months later, Mueller took over where fired Comey left off and breathed new life into the counterintelligence and criminal investigations. At the end of it, Mueller found no evidence, not a shred of evidence, Trump or any Trump official or even associate conspired with any Russians to interfere in the election or conduct other espionage. The case, like the Clinton campaign-funded dossier that inspired it, was a bust. Tellingly, Lisa Page also personally briefed Mueller about the FBI's investigation when the special counsel took over the case in May of 2017. She bragged about it. Then Mueller was so impressed with her overview, he hired her on the spot. I want her on my team, she said Mueller told her immediately. Here we are, folks, five years later. 
five years later. And we know the truth. And the truth is 180 degrees away from people in the FBI, the Department of Justice. And by the way, many of those are still in the FBI and the Department of Justice. Many of them are. Including the current FBI director. Think about that. The current FBI director was involved in this, Christopher Wray. He was quietly and pretty much silently behind the screen. Nevertheless, he was there. He was up in it to his eyeballs. He's not paid a price. Nothing's going to happen to him and probably none of the others. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> ah! Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're standing against the tide of creeping insanity. One truth at a time. TNN. The Truth News Network. Hello, everybody. Dan Newman here at TNN Live. Glad you joined us here today on the 13th, half of May. All of May's gone. Half of June is just about gone. Time flies. There's so many things going on. I don't see how we get so much crammed into a 24-hour news cycle. But boy, they have got it figured out. They know how to do it, and they're experts at getting it done. And uh, they're also very good at uh, hiding a lot of things that they don't want you and me to even be talking about, yet alone find out the veracity of what they say and either prove or disprove what they said. There are a lot of truths that are very obvious now. The first one is that this president is, um, he's rapidly roaring down the line to become the worst president in the United States history. The other thing that is, rapidly being confirmed again and again regarding the rule of law. There is two rules of law, one for the politically elite 
the ones that are on the far left side, maybe even in the middle some, very wealthy, all of those people that are friends and run in all those circles, there's one set of legal structure for them, and then there's another set for everybody who is not of that political ilk. Certainly, if you're a conservative, if you're what Joe Biden calls a MAGA person, in other words, make America great again, which means you probably you probably supported Donald Trump in his first term in office, you get that second set of laws. What is it and how is it different? They determine on the fly what's going to be enforced, what's not going to be enforced, and whatever they decide to go after you, if you're on the downside as far as they're concerned, on the other side of the, of the tracks, they're going to make it up on the fly. They'll prosecute you for things that don't even exist. And there's nothing we can do about it. Perfect example of this two-tiered kind of politics over the weekend. Biden spent a bunch of time out on the West Coast. He was flirting with big-time donors, people with a lot of money. And we all know there are hundreds of thousands of those people living on the West Coast. He shifted his narrative when he was speaking to this big group of heavy money people, he shifted the narrative on inflation Friday night. Listen to what he said, and this is a direct quote from the president. We're going to live with this inflation for a while. It's going to come down gradually, but we're going to live with it for a while. That was in Beverly Hills. That was a slightly different message from the more positive one he gave to Americans while visiting the Port of Los Angeles early that same day, early Friday afternoon. Here's what he said to the general public, the, the, the group of dweebs, you know, the MAGA folks, me and you. Here's what he said, quote, inflation outside of energy and food, what the economists call core inflation, moderated the last two months, he said. Not enough but it moderated. It's come down, and we need it to come down much more quickly. According to the latest, he didn't say anything about us having to live with it. (laughs) Of course, the people he was talking to at the Port of Los Angeles were, uh, they were not any billionaires or multimillionaires. They they were working class people. When he's when he's in Beverly Hills, everybody's sitting around the room, paid a fortune for their seat at the table with the President of the United States, and so he's got to sell them on inflation. According to the current, the very latest Consumer Price Index for May, month-to-date core inflation was at 0.6%. That's the same number it was at in April. Year-to-year core inflation was up 6% in May compared to a year ago, down from the 6.5% in March. The president has failed to offer any new solutions to solve inflation, despite calling it again and again and again his top economic priority. So what did he do when he spoke? He played the blame game. He always does. He blamed those evil oil companies for high gas prices and shipping companies for high shipping prices. He didn't stop there. He blamed all of the food and gas hikes on Vladimir Putin, even though prices were already rising at amazingly high rates 
even before the invasion of Ukraine. I understand Americans are anxious, he said, and they're anxious for a good reason. We have never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. And then, if you remember, he was on Jimmy Kimmel last week. Did you catch any of that? I didn't watch it. I watched some snippets later on. But during it, some things that just really frosted me stuck out. He falsely claimed that the United States has the fastest growing economy in the world. That assertion came during the president's in-person appearance on Kimmel on Wednesday, his very first ever, where he touched on a number of hot-button issues like abortion, climate change, and inflation. However, he bizarrely began the interview by talking about supposed success the U.S. economy has seen while he's been in the White House, making the glaringly false claim in the process. Fastest-growing economy. Fastest-growing economy in the world. He didn't just miss it, folks. He blew it apart. He wasn't even close. We're not even in the top 20. How does the president, how does any president of the United States, first of all, who gave him that information? And of course, this is Joe Biden. Nobody has to tell him anything and it'd be false. He can take a bold, hard, cold fact and destroy it by the time the thought hits his mind and his mouth spits it out. He's always been good at that. And it doesn't look like he's going to stop. 50 countries, including the United Kingdom and Italy, are ahead of us in economic growth. We have 8.6 million new jobs, he said. Not new jobs. Those were people going back to work. That's not the definition of a new job. It's people going back to work. Unemployment rates down to 3.6%. We've reduced the deficit last year by $320 billion, which is not true. We've broken that down for you. The economy grew by 5.7% in 2021. But more than 50 other countries had faster growth that year. Figures published by the International Monetary Fund show it. The U.S. economy shrank in the first quarter of 2022, while various other countries, including the U.K., Italy, and France, they all grew, and they left us in their wake. I guess he just thinks that because he is Joe Biden, the president of the United States. Whatever he says, people are going to believe, and it's okay if they just listen to Joe. Whatever he says, and they believe it, swallow it, hook, line, sinker. It's all going to work out. I'm Joe Biden, and I know the facts. You want to switch gears for a few minutes? The Supreme Court has got a ton of cases that they've got to rule on. They've got to come out and give us some uh, some opinions. And there's some real heavy ones in there. You know that. You know what they are, but they're running out of time. Now, let me just let me just say this about their timing. Normally, it's supposed to, or people think it's going to end in June. That's not necessarily the case. 
Sometimes they'll go over, and sometimes technically at the end of June, they'll take a couple of weeks off, maybe go do speeches, work on books, maybe a couple of weeks of vacation, but their staff members are always working, and they can just keep trucking right on, and we may have decisions from the Supreme Court filter out over the rest of the summer and even into early fall. But it's anticipated there are going to be three, four, five, maybe even six that are going to be released this week and next week. And of course, the gun one and the abortion are the two biggies. What's going to happen there? Well, let's talk about the abortion stuff for a minute. As you know, a nut job from California shows up in D.C., middle of the night, not in front of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house, but around the corner. And when officials accosted him, they found he had gun, guns, he had a knife. Um, he was a nut job. And he made it very clear he was out to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Now, there's been a whole lot of hoopla from the left and the right about this and about the safety and the security of the, all the justices on the United States Supreme Court. And it is a big deal. First of all, these people that are demonstrating in front of those houses, it is a violation of federal law for anybody, not just Supreme Court justices, but any judge on any federal bench across the nation. It is against the law to either demonstrate or talk to judges trying to get them to change their minds on any issue that is before the court. Why doesn't the Department of Justice, why doesn't the Attorney General Merrick Garland, why doesn't he arrest these protesters and hold them to the rule of law? You can bet this one thing. If if the shoe was on the other foot and if it was a very controversial issue and a bunch of Republicans were on the streets in front of these Democrat justices and demanding that they decide or change to whatever policy this group of protesters want it would be demonstration, it would be a violation of federal law, and there'd be people that would be locked up. I guarantee you, that's not my opinion. Look what Chuck Schumer did. We played you, him getting on that bullhorn in the streets in New York and threatening Judge Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, literally threatening them, saying, we're coming for you. If that's not a personal threat that can be prosecuted, I get that. But there are a lot of people out there that listen to these political leaders and they take messages and they give life to some of these things that people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi say. So, introduced in the House, a bill. We, not, we need to get these uh, justices, we need to get them some, uh, some safety because, you know, we already saw one go after Brett Kavanaugh. Thankfully, it didn't play out. So a bill was presented, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, she controls anything and everything that goes to the floor for debate and consideration. Also, she decides what does not go to the floor to be debated. And she won't let this bill come up, even be considered to give some extra careful care and protection for these Supreme Court justices. You said the justices are protected, but there was an attempt on Justice Kavanaugh's life. It's protected. The How? So this is issue is not about the justice. It's about, it's about a staff and, and the rest. 
Really? Then why is there a bill for their protection stalled in the House? Here to talk about it is Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief of The Federalist and author of Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, and Jason Chaffetz, former Utah member of Congress, Fox News contributor, and a man with a really good-looking tie. All right, Jason, <laughs> let's talk about that because, you know, the Senate passed the bill to say, you know what, our justices need more security, especially when they have protests in front of their house. We saw what happened at Kavanaugh's house with the gunman. But here Nancy Pelosi says, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to pass it off the House floor. I, it, it's so easy. She can bring up the, the bill literally the same day. It's a funding issue. And don't tell me about some clerk or some other person. They could have done this months ago. The threat has been there. It's been real. And now you have a gunman. And the, guess what? The U.S. Marshals, they need more resources in order to provide the security that's necessary. You know, Molly, it's interesting, as Jason and I served in the House, but she says, we need security for the clerks. That's like saying, you need security for my chief of staff or Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff. You don't have security for the chief of staff. You have security for the member or you have security for the justice, but she's clinging on to this thing, like we need money for the clerks. No one knows who the clerks are, and they serve at the pleasure of the justice. And even more than that, we have had an assassin, a failed assassination attempt on a justice's life. You have daily protests taking yeah. place at the homes of these uh, Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices. They're going after the kids' schools. They're going after their family. And even more than the funding issue, it would be really good to hear the Speaker of the House actually condemn this political violence, particularly since she's claiming that she cares so much about political violence, you know, with January 6 hearings and whatnot, to, to not be doing more to stop this. People are, you know, the day, the same day that Justice Kavanaugh, there was his failed assassination attempt on him and his family, you had protesters at his house that night. I mean, this is something that should be just roundly condemned. And because of Senator Schumer actually explicitly calling for attacks on Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch, which he did in March of 2020, it would be great to have everybody on the same page. And instead, you know, we have everyone kind of poo-pooing it. You know, I, w I wouldn't want to be in Congress and, and be Nancy Pelosi, who, one, you're right, doesn't condemn the attacks, but then, two, doesn't provide the additional funding to make sure our justices are safe. God forbid something happens. Wow. It just seems to never stop. When you think, hey, this can't get any worse, it does get worse. We're going to check back with that same panel in just a couple of minutes because they, they morphed into another conversation, and it has to do with something very topical. But I want to shortcut that and take you to uh, this gun thing that is out there. As you heard probably over the weekend, a Senate bipartisan committee has come up with a gun bill, a proposal. They're calling it bipartisan, which doesn't take any guns away from anybody, supposedly. And uh, it's supposed to make things safer for everybody. Of course, they haven't released any of the details. As I told you going into the show, we reached out to Congressman Mike Johnson. He's on the House side, and we asked him if he had any of the details, if he could share them with us. He hadn't seen it yet. The devil is in the details. We're going to find out what's there, but let's go back up to the 10,000-foot level. Joe Biden, President Biden, he knows squat about guns. And so when he was out there in California, and he was talking to that big group of elitists, he told everybody there that one of the reasons that he does not support arming teachers in schools is because it is not easy to blow someone's brains out. He said that. The idea that we're going to provide 
the way to deal with gun safety is to provide teachers with guns in classrooms, there's a reason why the military takes so long to train somebody. It's not easy to pick up a rifle or a gun and blow somebody's brains out. Now, where the heck does any president of the United States come up with making that statement? What does that have to do with personal security? Blowing somebody's brains out. The last day of May, the New York Post wrote that White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre's comments about Biden being opposed to hardening schools in the wake of the Valdi school shooting. I know there's been confirmation about hardening schools, she said. That is not something President Biden believes in. We are the only country that is dealing with gun violence at the rate that we're dealing. And other countries have mental health issues too. So what's the problem here? The problem is with guns and not having legislation to really deal with an issue that is a pandemic here in this country, she elaborated. I want you to turn your sound up because I want you to hear what I'm about to whisper. What she said, quote, we are the only country that is dealing with gun violence at the rate that we're dealing, and other countries have mental health issues. So what's the problem here? The problem is with guns and not having legislation to really deal with an issue that is a pandemic here in this country. This is the White House press secretary. She has no clue what she's talking about. How do I know that? Because what she said is patently false. The only thing we are totally devoid of regarding anything to do with school safety is the fact that we do not enforce laws when it comes to illegal use of firearms. We don't do it. How can you say that, Dan? People are arrested all the time. Well, all around the nation, especially in the places where all this crap is happening on such monumental numbers, like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and other big cities, those prosecutors there are not bringing charges against people for gun criminality. They're not doing it. And therefore, the word goes out from coast to coast, top to bottom. Don't worry about it. If you get your hands on a gun, use it. Go ahead and do it. They're not going to send you to jail. Last week, we played an audio soundbite coming out of the Los Angeles County Jail. That district attorney out there that doesn't put anybody behind bars or keep them behind bars for pretty much anything Gun crimes, no big deal. One inmate is on the phone with another one of his gang members and they're referencing somebody that they both hate and they want killed. And the guy in jail tells the guy on the phone, hey, listen, you need to hurry up and go ahead and knock this guy off because they're going to replace this DA Garcon and they're probably going to replace him with somebody that believes in the law and enforcing the law against people murdering other people. Could be life in jail and also the death penalty. The criminals know there's no accountability. There's none whatsoever. 
And regarding what Biden said Friday afternoon in Beverly Hills, the idea we're going to provide the way to deal with gun safety is to provide teachers with guns in classrooms. There's a reason why the military takes so long to train somebody. It's not easy to pick up a rifle or a gun and blow somebody's brains out. You know where another very developed conservative nation on the planet Earth has kicked this problem? School shootings, mass shootings, all that kind of stuff, kicked it in the can? Israel. Israel. In 1974, Israel endured the Mailot Massacre. You may not remember it. Let me refresh your memory. Palestinian terrorists took 115 people hostage at an elementary school. 22 children and three others were killed. 68 were shot and injured. After that tragedy, Israel, they put their own school protection plan in place. Since 1974, how many years is that? 40 years would be 14. Just shy of 50 years, 48 years, there have been two school shooting incidents, two. Both were initiated by terrorists, and only four deaths occurred. Four, and they were students. More than 20 terrorists were killed during those incidents. All but two of those came at the hands of who? Armed school guards, administrations, administrators, and even a couple of students. It worked in Israel. So what's the plan? It's a bullet point. I'll give it to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight parts. There's a military service requirement for all Israeli young people, men and women, those with physical impairments and those with religious objections to military service, they're exempted. All other service stint in the military. Therefore, they have intense firearm training that follows them after they leave the military. Now, this does not mean they own or handle guns afterwards. It means they know how to use guns in the proper circumstances. They, to own a gun, must receive government approval to do so, and only with a reasonable reason for having that gun. School buildings are extremely secure. They're all fenced, every one of them some with fences extremely tall, to prohibit bombs from being tossed over into a school facility. Remember this, Israel is bordered on all sides by the ocean and countries with terrorist elements whose constituents do not like Israel and occasionally conduct terrorist acts against the nation of Israel. Almost every school, all schools do not provide school buses in the U.S., Students use school buses, as in the U.S. Students use public transportation in Israel, primarily commercial buses, which contain armed guards, two on each one, who are hired and are trained in self-defense and defense against a shooter or shooters. Schools have a guarded entry gate, one way in, one way out. All those who come to the school are stopped, questioned by a pro, an armed guard. Those entering must have a valid ID, a verifiable reason or appointment to enter school grounds, and must be accompanied at all times when on school property. Emergency incident response for all types of emergencies are devised, implemented, practiced at periodic scheduled intervals. They include all personnel and students who are regularly on school property. Every type of catastrophe is planned for. 
Some of the teachers, some of the administrators are armed. Their being armed is visible so that everybody knows who is armed. All teachers participate in a gun shooting and self-defense class, but teachers are not forced to carry a weapon. Doing that is voluntarily. Guards are not all armed, but those who are armed answer to either local police authorities or military authorities who specifically handle Israeli school security. You know what doesn't work? What doesn't work is what is not working right now and wasn't working 10 years ago here or 20 or 30 years ago. We don't enforce laws. We don't hold people accountable who break the laws, even in many cases, those who are bringing guns and using guns illegally, shooting and killing people. Unless and until we do something like the nation of Israel, the plan I just, I mean, the first time we offered this plan from Israel was five years ago. We published this story on truthnewsnet.org. Why can't the United States They're one of our allies, Israel. Why can't we just send some people from our Department of Justice over there and let them do a quick examination? This bill that the Senate is putting together, the few bullet points that I saw from it, it's built around spending a bunch of money. We're going to do this. We're going to raise a bunch of money for mental health. I get all of that. That should be an also part of. That should not be the nuts and bolts of anything. We have got to stop these school shooters. And the only way to do that is hold them directly accountable and make sure they know and understand if you come to this school and you attempt to hurt someone, especially with a gun, you're going to die. You didn't hear anything about what happened in Gadsden, Alabama, except here on Thursday. We told you the story. There was a would-be shooting attempt at an elementary school. One shooter makes the rounds going around school, trying to find a door that's open. Couldn't find a door open. A school, an armed school guard confronted this guy that had the gun. The guy drew his weapon. The school guard shot and killed him. Bam. One quick incident, it was over and done. It's horrible that somebody had to die, but it's wonderful that not one student, not one administrator, not even a guard had to deal with being shot and certainly no kids. It's not brain surgery, but it's not politics either. Why, oh why, in the United States of America does everything have to be weaponized and politicized to somehow make it for the good of one political party or the other. Why not just do something that's every case, every bill, every piece of legislation, it does something for the people, something that is needed by the people and do it for the people in total disregard of how it impacts those 535 men and women that serve in the U.S. Congress. You should be at the bottom of the concern track for any legislation that you do. You should be the last ones. If 
it applies for the welfare and the benefit of all Americans, you're going to receive the same benefits as do the rest of us. That's all that matters. And so everything is politicized. Let me give you another example. Joe and Jill were out in California raising a bunch of money. Jill was at the same big Beverly Hills fundraiser that Joe was at. And she reportedly, at this little get-together, she trashed Donald Trump, bragging that since Trump left office, people have come up to her saying, quote, I feel like I can breathe again. It was $36,500 a person to go to this get-together. And she addressed the donors. Jill brought up the January 6th riot at the Capitol in order to take a swipe at Trump. If you think of what went on on January 6th, she said, and if what we were living with that kind of president today, it's like you can't even let your head go there. And then once we were elected, people came up to me all the time, everywhere I went and said, Jill, I feel like I can breathe again. Thank God we won, because if you think of what went on January 6th, and if you think, what if we were living with that president today, people kept coming up to me now and saying, I feel like I can breathe. The same same day, the Bidens attended another fundraiser in Brentwood, hosted by Andrew Hoffman and Ellen Brofman Hoffman, and co-hosted by former Disney and DreamWorks boss Jeffrey Katzenberg. Biden's hobnobbing with Hollywood elite comes as inflation hit a new high with prices soaring a stunning 8.6% in May, defying the prevailing media narrative that inflation had cooled off a bit. In a statement sent to Deadline, Katzenberg, one of the hosts, the Disney guy, said the money raised today will help get people to the polls on election day in November. Just the idea of Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell in charge should be enough to get people out to vote. Let me, before we go to a break, let me just debunk. We could spend all day, every day, debunking things the president said. In his speech to these people, talking about gun control, gun crimes, we got to stop all this, we got to stop all this. He made this statement. He said, people who are Second Amendment fans and own guns, you're stupid. Now, he didn't know this was going to get out, I'm sure. I don't know. I can't say that. Maybe he did. Maybe he wanted it to get out. (laughs) And let me tell you one of the, uh, the big things he popped up with. He gets this stuff. It comes out of, it may even come out of his booty. I don't know where he gets it, but it doesn't come out factually. It's not factually backed up in any way. He actually said this, if you own a gun at home and you own it for self-defense, you're three times more likely to get shot yourself than you are likely to shoot somebody that's breaking into your house. Three times. Guess what? It's a lie. Fact. Guns are used more often to save life. Dr. Edgar Souter, 
pointed out that studies which make the claim that guns are more likely to kill the owner are flawed because they fail to consider the number of lives that are saved by guns. That is, such claims ignore the vast number of non-lethal defensive use with firearms. Criminologists have found that citizens use firearms as often as two and a half million times every year in self-defense. They may not shoot them, but they're a great detractor of somebody if they know that you've got a gun. In over 90% of these defensive uses, citizens merely brandish their gun or fire a warning shot to scare off the attacker. Second fact, a study claiming guns more likely to kill you than help you is a total fraud. Not surprisingly, the figure claiming one is three times more likely to be killed by one's own gun is a total lie. The author of this study, Dr. Arthur Kellerman, refused to release the data behind his conclusions for years. Subsequently available evidence shows why Kellerman stonewalled for so long. Researcher Don Cates reveals that all available data now indicate the home gun homicide victims that were mentioned in Kellerman's study were killed using guns not kept in the victim's home. In other words, the victims were not murdered with their own guns. They were killed by intruders who brought their own guns to the victim's home. In retrospect, in retrospect Cates found it was not the ownership of firearms that put these victims at high risk. Rather, it was the victim's high-risk lifestyle, such as criminal associations, that caused them to own guns at a higher rate than the members of the supposedly comparable control group. Now, let me tell you what we have for you. We have a complete dossier with all of the facts, the true facts, through the FBI crime statistics, all of it pulled together. And in today's story, down at the bottom, there is a PDF file. You can download that report, 29 pages long, full of accurate, vetted facts and all of the resources you can go to to get those facts. Truthnewsnet.org. It's not there yet. At the conclusion of this show, within five minutes of the conclusion, it will be posted there at the bottom of the story on the front page of today's truthnewsnet.org. Just a few moments ago, you heard Sean Duffy with some other experts, and they were talking about um, this law to protect justices that Nancy Pelosi won't even let go to the floor of the House to be debated. They got into another conversation, and this one's really important. There's new stuff out there about guess who? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, our fair-haired boy, we've got them, uh, they're going to come back around. And let me just say this, folks, about this Hunter Biden thing, it's not going away. Every few days, it's like more news comes out, more information, and we find out it's worse than we ever thought it could be. So we've got that group coming back right after this. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? 
Crawl or Lollagag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. That's another one of those 70s songs. This kind of makes you tap your toes. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, why don't we just get right to it for to save time? We've got some other really important things we need to get to, but you need to hear this back and forth. Here's a group of experts with Sean Duffy on Fox News. They talked about, at the beginning of this, not protecting the U.S. Supreme Court justices. And by the way, today, it just popped up a moment ago, uh, there's a big protest outside the uh, Supreme Court Justice building, and they're blocking the road to keep the justices from going to work today. That's how desperate these pro-choice, um, pro-abortion people are. But anyway, let's just segue right to that. We're watching all this stuff. If anything happens there, any uh, renderings or um, information that's put out from the Supreme Court today regarding any of the cases that are out there. We'll interrupt what we're doing and bring that to you. Nothing so far yet. But let's go to Sean Duffy and gang and this new news about Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, We've learned that more than 168,000 deleted files have been recovered from Hunter Biden's laptop. So listen, I'm going to go to you first, Molly. This seems like the Hunter Biden story never stops. More information is going to continue to come out. What do you think we're going to see? Well, and it's always good to remember the Hunter Biden story is really just about the Biden family business in general. That involves not just Hunter Biden, but James Biden, the brother of Joe Biden, and other family members who are given money by foreign oligarchs, the Chinese Communist Party, other entities in exchange for things that we're not quite sure what they're getting. We know there's this business where you give people money who you normally wouldn't. Hunter Biden is not someone you would normally hand over huge sums of cash to. He's a drug addict, of course not. But he has received those, so we need to know more about what's what's happening in terms of U.S. policy. Is this why Joe Biden has such a soft policy toward China? And yes, there have been some pretty insane stories coming out of this laptop. And again, once, it, once again, corporate media are kind of downplaying, ignoring, or suppressing that story, just as they did in the 2020 election. You don't hear anything about it. And, and Jason, it's not illegal to have Hunter Biden, you know, lobby people. That's just because he's the son of Joe Biden. 
The problem, though, is if if Joe Biden is actually involved in the scheme to help Hunter Biden get work and give Hunter Biden access to the vice presidency, and then he gets 10%, as Bob Alinsky indicated, Joe Biden was getting 10% of the money brought in by his son, Hunter Biden. While he was vice president of right. the United States, while he held the keys to the kingdom when he traveled overseas. I, I would like some basic questions answered. Why is it that Hunter Biden went with his business partner on Air Force Two to Mexico to try to seal a deal. I mean, the mil the flow of the money that by the millions of dollars, the direct texts that now everybody's admitting this is this laptop is real. Here we got a hundred plus thousand files. Who knows what's going to be in there? I mean, we know there are probably going to be more pictures, unflattering as they might be, and who knows what other data. But where's the intellectual curiosity by the national media? It's, it's totally absent. You know, we want we want a president, we want a vice president who looks out for our interests, the American people's interests. I, I don't want them to look out for their family interests and their family wealth. That doesn't yeah. serve our country well. Meanwhile, last night President Biden joked about sending his political opponents to jail, and it's basically a monopoly reference. But you know what? I'm not so sure, Molly. It seems like Democrats want to send a lot of Republicans to jail, and it wasn't a joke. Yeah, Joe Biden, last night on, on this late night program, joking about sending his political opponents to jail, joking about or saying that there would be a revolution in this country. Again, we, we're getting such mixed messages from Democrats who do control the presidency and the Senate and the House, where they claim that they're opposed to political violence and insurrections, and and uh, they right. claim they support rule of law. And instead, you know, Joe Biden's Department of Justice really is acting like his personal arm that, that imprisons his political really opponents. Well, That's what they do. Actually, let's, let's play the clip. Let's see what Joe Biden had to say. I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules. Well, you got to send him to jail, uh, you know. Somebody's got a little box in there. Directly to jail. Go directly to jail. You know, Jason, it, it, we look at how the FBI has behaved, whether it was in regard to Donald Trump or with regard to the political prosecutions, the DOJ. It doesn't seem like a joke. It's not a joke because there's not one single policy that the president can point to that is actually making the country better. Immigration, inflation, foreign policy. I mean, can the president, he can't point to anything. And here he has not done a serious interview and still hasn't, I would argue, done a serious interview in nearly four months as the president of the United States. And their, their message is, well, we're getting bad press and we're getting bad messaging. But the president speaking more and Kamala Harris totally, you know, working on her next word salad is not changing the trajectory of the policy of the Biden-Harris administration. No, it's not. And by the way, I hope the next Republican president looks at the FBI, looks at the DOJ and says, you know, we have to clean house here. We have to make sure that everybody has faith in the DOJ and the FBI. Molly? It is the biggest threat to the country that we have two standards of justice, one for friends of the regime and one for opponents. It is a threat to the republic and it has to be cleaned up. A hundred percent it is and we all have to have faith in it. Isn't it amazing to hear somebody, intelligent people, mainstream news media, referring to our government as the regime? Normally, we, uh, we keep that term to be used for some foreign government that's a totalitarian-based government. We're talking about the United States of America and the Biden administration as the regime. That's a little disconcerting to me. Justifiably so. It's well-deserved. Well, regarding all of this stuff that's happening across the nation and how Americans, even now the mainstream media, are dealing with this inflation, 
prices through the roof, even supply chain issues, grocery shortages, and that's going to get much, much worse in the near term. It's about to really get serious. We'll get to that a little bit later in this half hour if we can, but even MSNBC, they're going after Joe Biden. During Friday's episode of Morning Joe, co-host Willie Geist pushed back on the president's claims that rising prices are because of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Skeptical of Biden's Putin's price hike talking point, this MSNBC anchor assured show guest Brian Deese, the White House director of the National Economic Council, that the average American pumping gas is not saying, damn you, Vladimir Putin, but probably blaming our current leadership. Geist asked if Deese could relate to those people whether Biden had an actual plan to fix our economic crisis, considering the Department of Labor report, which revealed consumer prices rose 8.6% since this time in 2021, now at a 40-year high. In this news report, the back and forth between Geist and Deese came after co-host Joe Scarborough pressed the director on whether the Biden administration has any perspective on what the Federal Reserve could be doing to ease inflation. We're up to 8.6%. That 8.6% could and probably will become 10. It could become 12% if the Fed doesn't start acting aggressively. Does Chairman Powell and the Fed, do they need to jack up rates at a faster clip? Morning Joe asked. Dees claimed the White House is giving the Fed the space it needs to do everything that it needs to take on inflation and not getting in the way. Listen to what he said. This is a quote. The president is not going to politicize that process. That is the most important thing that we can do, that a president can do. And we can't take that for granted. Adding that former President Trump was aggressively tweeting at the Federal Reserve chair all the time. Yeah, and rates stayed low because they didn't have to be raised by the Federal Reserve because there was no inflation. The economic director added that Biden will not be doing what Trump did and explained, that's why I'm not going to comment on the question of exactly the tactics they should use other than to say you have a president that says fighting inflation is the top economic priority right now. Well, as you can imagine, the show is he wasn't satisfied with Deese's stonewalling and expressed that the White House needs to start giving clearer signals on America's economic woes. Brian, it's true, of course, the Russia's war in Ukraine is impacting oil prices. Yes, but I promise you, the landscaper two days ago I talked to at the gas pump who was trying to fill up two cans and backpack blowers and mowers in his truck was not going, damn you, Putin. Geist asked, so what do you say to him? What do you say to families who can't afford all these groceries right now? Incidentally, the number out there, it's going to cost an extra $5,520 for each family each year. $5,520 extra dollars. So what do you say to these people? Well, Dees insisted once again, rising prices are Russia's fault. 
saying it doesn't make people feel any better, but it's important in diagnosing the problem here. The problem is that the price of gas at the pump is now up about a buck seventy since Putin began amassing troops at the border. That's the impact of war. But, Mr. Deese, it was up more than a buck seventy before Vladimir Putin ever invaded Ukraine. He didn't have anything to do with the first half of these gas prices, even if you can somehow attribute the second half to his direct stuff that he's done. This president, nor anybody in his administration, has taken accountability for one single thing that is going on. He still refuses to admit that on the first day he lived in the White House as president, when he started spitting out those executive orders that in one fell swoop handicapped the fossil fuel industry from top to bottom, and it turned us overnight from being energy independent to more dependent than we had been in 20 years on foreign energy sources. Yeah, we know now the underlying reason and purpose for that. Joe's telling us we've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. We're in this transition period. It's going to cost us. It's going to hurt while we transition away from fossil fuel to green new deal energy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we got to transfer into that. We don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. They didn't give us a plan. We can't do it. It's going to take decades to do it if we ever could do it. And I'm not sure that we ever could do it. CNBC anchor Jim Cramer criticized Deese following the director's Friday appearance on Squawk on the Street. He claimed Deese's economic numbers are not true, expressed that the real reason gas is so high is simply because Biden and Democrats hate fossil fuel and don't want to work with those evil oil companies. Meanwhile, guess what else goes on? Life. (laughs) Life for every American. You probably didn't hear about this little tidbit that popped up over the weekend. Border authorities in Texas grabbed 22 pounds of fentanyl. That's worth about $350,000. And they got it from a smuggler attempting to drive into the U.S., The DEA says that two milligrams of fentanyl can be enough to kill a person. 22 pounds is 9,979,032 milligrams. If you apply the DEA's own metrics, this means that one seizure is enough to kill 4,989,516 people. That's just one little smuggler, and it's only 22 pounds. Between October and April, Customs and Border Patrol seized over 6,600 pounds of fentanyl, over 6,200 of which was seized at the southern border alone. Our Border Patrol officers use all available tools and resources to identify and extract narcotics with caution. It's vital to the safety of our officers that we be able to identify what type of narcotic we're dealing with as a small amount of fentanyl can be fatal. We cover this every day. Media across the nation cover it every day. And all it is is like a 
30-second, ah, here's another fentanyl story. Ah, there's another 5 million people that could be killed with this 22-pound bust of fentanyl coming across the southern border. Now, on to the weather. It's going to be hot today. That's how we talk about it. That's how we look at it. That's how this president looks at it. It's not a big deal to him. It's not a big deal. And unless and until it's a big deal, nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep on trucking. But let me tell you what, this administration, they've got some really big deals on their plate, and they're really big about talking about them every day. Partisan actors from the White House to the corporate media, they're out there now, left and right, north and south, warning about right-wing violence. Oh my gosh, these right-wingers are going to tear this nation apart. That all began in earnest right after the leak of that draft opinion from the Supreme Court, which, if it stands, and it turns out to be the real deal, it would overturn Roe v. Wade. But in the months since that memo got pulled out, there's been a tear of left-wing violence targeting pro-life figures and organizations. We're not hearing about those, are we? They're still harping on right-wing violence, white supremacists. The only violence, still, the only violence out there is from people on the left. When pro-abortion protesters took to the streets within hours of that leaked opinion becoming public, the Biden administration warned that violence could come from both sides. And media outlets like CNN forwarded a narrative that law enforcement was concerned about right-wing extremists. In the meantime, at least a dozen pro-life organizations have been vandalized or attacked, and a man attempted to murder Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. That's no big deal, though. No, 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 no. It's these evil right-wing dictator wannabes. Those are the dangerous people. It seems like to us, it's very one-sided on what we call out as intimidation or as violence. So we want to make sure we're calling out on both sides on what is happening and what we're seeing. That's that brain surgeon. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, she said last month when she was asked about a DHS memo which warned about abortion-related violence. Jean-Pierre was asked if the White House was concerned at all about violence coming from the pro-abortion or anti-abortion side of debate. The DHS memo warned that white supremacists may carry out violence in the name of the pro-life cause. Quote, some racially, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist embrace of pro-life narratives may be linked to the perception of wanting to save white children and fight White genocide. That's in the DHS memo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's truthful. I mean, we spent 20 minutes the first hour going through the litany of stupidity, outright federal violation, criminal lies told by numerous people in the Department of Justice, many of which are still in the Department of Justice, and the propagation for two and a half years of the Donald Trump-Russia collusion story, and it was all manufactured, it was lied, it was put on warrants that were applied for, and the actions that resulted from those warrants were criminal activity. 
those evil right-wing people. They're coming after you. You got to watch them. You got to watch them. Democrat allies in the media, they parrot the same narrative. CNN spun a narrative that law enforcement in D.C. was primarily concerned about calls for violence from the right. Left-wing blob, the Daily Kos, highlighted isolated incidents of right-wing violent reactions to pro-abortion protests. The Anti-Defamation League warned that right-wing extremists viewed the leaked SCOTUS opinion as an opportunity for violence. Where has it been? Where has it been? Uh, Look at what's happening on the far left. Every day, all day, and at night, they are over and over and over again in numbers in the dozens every day, violating federal law, breaking federal law, which this Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Wray, everybody in public office swore an oath to protect the rule of law. They're not prosecuting these criminals. Nearly all of the violence or threats of it since the leaked opinion have come from pro-abortion extremists. Protesters camped outside of conservative court justices' homes warning that someone would need to drop dead. Wednesday, a California man arrested and charged with attempted murder after being found by police outside Kavanaugh's house with a handgun and a knife. Gosh, it's against the federal law to try to entice a judge, any federal judge, regarding anything in an opinion that is pending before that judge. It's a violation of a federal statute. It's criminal. Christopher Ray, he should be kicked out of office as FBI director. And if he had any, any chutzpah, If he was an honest guy or even just wanted to do the right thing, he'd resign because he, the FBI director, is not even coming close to enforcing the laws of the land that he was put in office to do just that and only that. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. My fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals... Better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. 
It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. I gotta tone this down a little bit. <laughs> I uh, I just got a text from somebody who says you you sound like you're pissed off. Well, my only response is I learned when I was a young kid and lived in South Louisiana. It's always better to be pissed off than to be pissed on. I know I probably hurt somebody's feelings when I said that, but come on now, folks. This is just getting absolutely ridiculous when stuff just doesn't add up. You can't come up with justification other than the politicization and the weaponization of anything and everything somebody has that they can possibly pick up and throw it against the conservatives in the nation. And it's so obvious nothing's being done to counter any of that, even when it involves breaking the laws. They're not protecting Supreme Court justices. Come on now. Well, can we just, let's just take this down a notch. Hey, have you seen those little stickers at the gas pump when you go in and it's a picture of Joe Biden and he's pointing at the price of gas and he says, I did this. Have you ever wondered who came up with that? Somebody came up with it. They got to be making a bunch of money. Jesse Waters at Fox found the guy and had him on. Bobby Nicklicky. CEO of Patriots Pledge and creator of the I Did That sticker joins me now. Nick Lickley, am I saying your name correctly? <laughs> you are, you are. Thank you, Jesse. All Thank right. you for having me. Of course. My first question is, uh, can you send me some more stickers? <laughs> Absolutely, man. We, we'll make as many as you need, and they're made right here in America. <laughs> made in America, just like Joe Biden made these gas prices high in America. And I'll pay for them. I don't care. I was like four ninety nine a gallon in New Jersey the other day. I almost lost well, it. Uh, yeah. Well, I had said to the, the lady um, that had done the, the piece that you're speaking of, I said, um, how mad does someone have to be that they're at a pump paying too much for gas and they're buying stickers that they know they're going to throw away? <laughs> Right. So so they're doubling down. So how mad do they have to be? So you and your partner came up with this idea. Did you have any idea it would take off from this? And are you now filthy rich? No, we did not know it would take off. And what happened was my partner, my creative partner and business partner, Jesse Ryan, um, we were in the office and we do this often. We spitball about things that are being said. And anytime that Joe Biden opens his mouth, it's always good for business um, <laughs> because he's creating gaffes. Um, his Ultra MAGA, we now own the trademarks for Ultra MAGA and stickers and clothing. And we also own <laughs> UltraMAGA.com. So uh, anytime that he does this. So we were in the office and basically complaining like everybody was when the gas prices first started going up. And I basically said, there's no one that could to blame now. They have to blame him. And basically, Jesse had coined the phrase, I did this, and then came up with the sticker as far as in pointing. And then the rest is history. We've been knocked off by millions of people. We don't care. Um, we refunded a lot of people that, that, that bought stickers. We actually refunded them back and still sent the stickers. And we also put $20 in random orders to help them with the, the price. This wasn't about money for us. We have... We, 
we, we, we do well. We're very blessed um, with our companies. And um, we just really wanted to uh, make a statement and, and try and, you know, it's, this is one of the last, uh, you know, forms of free speech that's left, you know, clothing and, and bumper stickers. And this was just a tongue-in-cheek way to kind of say um, a nod to the left, like we told you so. And also, you know, and, and again, it wasn't meant to hurt anybody. It's, it's a peaceful form of protest. It sure is. We could use more peaceful forms of protest these days in the United States. Like, Wiki, thank you so much for coming on primetime. And we await more stickers no because Jesse, yeah. I, I, want, I want to say we got a new one that we're replacing that one with. And this one is these days, everybody's red at the pumps. And uh, the red is a uh, Republican elephant and then the ED. So right. be, be on the lookout. And where can you get these if people want to go online? PatriotsPledge.com. You can get all your Ultra MAGA stuff and whatnot there. All the things that will just really trigger the other side <laughs> because it's true. All right. Hopefully those prices go down soon. And we don't need to sell stickers like this. I, know, I think we all I agree know. on that. Thank you so much that's for coming really on. They should be, that's, that's really what they should be focused on is why the stickers exist. Exactly. All right. Have Thanks again. One, and you too. Entrepreneurship. This is the United States of America, and anybody can come up with any idea they want. And if it's good enough, you can make it work, and you can make a lot of money. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's Joe Biden's whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody give me a baseline. Yeah, there's a baseline. Hey, listen, guys. That's a wrap on Monday the 13th. Wow. Middle of this week will be the Ives of June, June 15th, Wednesday. Have a great day, folks. And just kind of uh, sit there, snap your fingers, pat your feet. Christina Aguilera, tilt your head back. <laughs> Enjoy your day. We'll see you tomorrow.
Looking at me, and me. I stand here looking at you. 